chapter 26 and we're going to go into chapter not 7 but 27 just for a wee bit as we move on we are going to be looking at um, there's, there's basically two sets of trials and, and the thing is talking about just justice gone wrong <laughs> I mean it's funny because on a kind of human political level it's just should never happen it should never happen because there's literally no charges to be brought to Jesus. I mean, literally, there's nothing that they can pin on, G on him legitimately to hang him. So it's just a complete just shambles of justice. But the irony is, is justice met. Without Jesus, he had to have been tried and found guilty for something in order to, to justify the death penalty. And he needed to have that death penalty to die for justice, you know what I'm saying? But the justice is for us to appreciate, you know? The, now we are justified, you know what I'm saying? So, so justice was corrupted so that we might be justified. And that's what we're gonna see basically in the two sets of trials. There's not a whole lot to take out of as far as a way of application, more in way of reflection and just appreciation. Wow, Jesus, you, you sat there. I mean, think about you, if you were falsely tried for something. I mean, I can think of myself, if I were falsely tried for something, sitting there and just blethering on and on and on and just shouting and throwing things on the ground. But we see Jesus, he, he, he knew this had to happen. So he, he was confident. He was confident. Even if he was a wee bit scared, he still knew that this is what's right. This is the right thing to do. So he was, as we shall see, silent. But the trials, the first set of trials, are the religious trials. It's, it's, the, it's the, you know, the Sanhedrin and the high priests and the elders. It's the religious folk, and they're doing their trials. Now, they didn't have any authority to put anyone to death, so they'll have to move it to a different set of trials. And that would be like the political trial or the, you know, the legal, proper legal trial. And that's when Pilate and the Romans get involved. But today we're going to look at the religious ones, um, the religious trial. And we know that Rome had no problem with Jesus. Rome had no problem with Jesus. In fact, Pilate, that's part of his issue. He's like, I have no problem with you. It's these guys, and these guys are big mouths, and they're a problem to us. So we have to shut them up. And the only way to do it is to basically to do this wrong thing and commit them of a you know, charge of truth, well, blasphemy, as we'll see this morning. But Rome didn't care about Jesus. They didn't mind Jesus. It was the, it was the Sanhedrin. It was the leaders and the Pharisees and, the, and those people, the religious leaders at the time, they were jealous and they hated Jesus. And the and thing is, even before the trial, in fact, let's go to the first slide. Even before the first trial, or, or the trial even be really begun, they purposed in their mind that he would have to die. You see? So that's not a real trial. A trial is what you do to find out whether someone's innocent or guilty, right? But here, this trial was just to find justification for their desires to kill him. That's all that it was. How are we going to pin this on him? How are we going to find a legitimate reason to convince Rome to, to hang him? 
That's what these trials are for. They weren't interested in finding whether or not Jesus was guilty or if he was innocent. They don't care. As far as they're concerned, he has to die. In fact, we'll see that right away. And if you rewind just a wee bit, it's not in Matthew's gospel, but it's in John's gospel. On um, chapter 18, verse 12, it says this, and this is a small little snippet of a little mini trial at, at Ananias, when it was one of the, there's two high priests. There was the people's high priest and there was the political high priest, which is really wrong as well, because there should only be one high priest. So you have these two people, and Ananias and, and, and um, Caiaphas. And so the first little mini trial happened at Ananias' house. And it starts, and we see it in John, like I said, verse 18 and verse 12, where it says, Then the detachment of soldiers with its commanders and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. Now, we already saw him arrested last week. That's what we're coming off from, his arresting in the garden. And now the, So the first thing he did right away, and we see this only in John, is they bound him, brought him first to Ananias, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas. The high priest that year. Caiaphas was the one who had advised the Jewish leaders that it would be good if one man died for the people. So here we see in this first little meeting, this first little mini trial, you know, the decision was already made. Jesus hadn't said anything. There was no accusations brought. There was no evidence being produced. Already they've, they've seen, well, we, well, this is the man that we decided in order to shut the Christian, well, that, well his followers up. And, and that, all those things that they're doing that are making us mad, you know, all these really good things like healing people, you know, <laughs> exercising people, you know, all these really amazing things that, the, that, that, that him and his disciples are doing that people love him for because, frankly, they're really good things. For the people, you know, he's healing the people. He's rescuing. He's saving people before their very eyes. They hate it because they don't have the power to do it. But Jesus' disciples had the power to do it. And so what we'll do is we'll shut that down. And the way we'll do it is we'll just, we'll take out the leader. So this isn't a trial, guys. This is just, this is insanity is what it is. So now we're left, we come to the second trial. This is at Caiaphas, okay? And this is in Matthew 26, 57, which is our text for today. So those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the teachers of the law and the elders had assembled. But Peter followed him at a distance, right up to the courtyard of the high priest. He entered and sat down with the guards to see the outcome. Now, we already talked about Peter and his denying him. Okay, And this happens at this courtyard. We were talking about that last week, so we're not going to go there today. We're just going to look at the trials. So here is Peter watching. What is the outcome? What's going to happen to Jesus? Now, again, appreciate the fact that Jesus could have, like we already talked about last week, called out an army of angels. He could have thrown down the tables in the temple here or this home here or wherever to, 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 you know, to demonstrate his passion and his innocence. But instead, look what he does. So the next slide, and I call this slide fishing for accusations, because really, reality is they, they still haven't found out what his charges were. And again, this is just bogus justice. You, you, before you even step into court, you should know what your charges are. What are you going to court for, you know? Jesus doesn't even know what he's going to court for yet. He just, all right, they want me dead. I mean, Jesus, okay, Jesus knows everything, so he knows what they're going to say. But, you know, you know what I'm saying? It's just like when you go to court, you know what you're being charged for. You don't, they don't figure it out while you're there. But here it is. They're fishing for accusations. So how are we going to convince Rome? Because they didn't have the power to kill Jesus. They, they, had, they, were, they had political power, but they had to at least have something to convince Rome to do it. 
So here we see in verses 59, the chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false evidence. So again, <laughs> they themselves knew that there was nothing. He was innocent. There was nothing to legitimately pin on Jesus. There was no genuine charges of guilt. So they knew that they had to find some false evidence against Jesus so that they could convince Rome to put him to death. But they did not find any. But bear in mind, Judas, where did he go? I think he was probably running to the hills already at this point. In fact, we'll find out what happens to him. Because I imagine... And some commentators suggest that maybe even Judas was supposed to be the prime witness. Yes, I was there. And yes, you know, he did say he was the son of God and all these different things, these, these charges of blasphemy. But he wasn't there, probably because he's already beginning to regret his poor decision of betraying Jesus. But regardless, they couldn't find anyone else. Until finally two came forward. So again, what they probably got were people saying, well, yeah, I know Jesus. I know disciples. They, they healed my uncle. They healed my aunt. They fed me back then. They, yeah, he, he taught a really amazing sermon. Yeah. And though we don't want to hear that stuff. <laughs> we want to hear bogus. What did he do? Did he, how did he offend you? Did, did he do you wrong? No. No. Because Jesus didn't do anyone wrong. That's the problem. So they had to get him on a charge that they interpret as being a lie, but which, which in reality was a truth. And that is his messiahship. That's that he is divinity, basically. So two, the two came up and they declared, this fellow, he said this, I am able to destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, are you not going to answer? Again, he wants to see Jesus get all fired up. What is this testimony that these men bring against you? But Jesus, again, he could have called the army down. He could have defended himself. But he knew there's no point. There's no point. And they, and they certainly aren't going to try him for that. So he's just going to stay quiet. And again, up here in John 2, 18 to 20, that when Jesus talked about the temple being destroyed, it was actually his body. And here's some irony here. It was his body he was talking about. His body is the temple of God that will be destroyed but yet rebuilt in three days. You know what I'm saying? So here's the irony. This happening right before them. Yes, he did talk about the temple, but you got it all wrong. This temple that will be destroyed is his body, and in three days it'll be raised again. And you're seeing this. We're seeing this. It's coming. It's happening right before us this very moment. And bear in mind, we're just hours away from Jesus dying for our sins. Next slide, please. And again, you're going to see this verse or this chapter quite a bit because it, it, it's very telling. Isaiah, hundreds of years before. This was written, compiled hundreds of years before Jesus. And so this was in a library, if you will, accessible to anyone in all, you know, who, who wanted to see these prophetic verses. And certainly the religious leaders should have had these verses memorized. You know what I'm saying? Because that was a big part of their of their education they had to memorize the law and they had to memorize a great deal of the prophecies so they should have known these things so this again is very ironic so Isaiah 53 7 9 says this he was oppressed and treated harshly yet he never said a word he was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep is silent before his shearers 
he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants and that his life was cut short in midstream. So, i.e., you know, for the, the Jewish person, you know, very important that they have descendants. That's a big part of their pride, you know, and, their, and what's important to them. And so he was ripped off too soon. He died too early as far as you know, the human concerns are concerned. But as far as divine or God's purposes, this is the right time. He was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. Again, the charges they bring against Jesus were false because they were twisted. Yes, we'll find out exactly what the charges are going to be in just a moment. But they're twisted. They weren't reason for his death. If anything, they were reason for their repentance. You know what I'm saying? He had done no wrong. He had never deceived a single person. Next slide. So here are the charges. In Matthew 26, starting in verse 63 onwards, it says, The high priest said to him, I charge you under oath by the living God, tell us if you are the Messiah, the Son of God. So according to the law at this point, he says you need to answer this in, under oath of the living God. So Jesus at this point will have to straightforward answer. And we know Jesus' policy on answering. It's let your yes be yes. And you know, be no. So straightforward, Jesus. Are you the Messiah, the Son of God? Are you or are you not? And here's how Jesus replied. You have said so. Basically saying yes. But I say to you all, from now on, so from this point on, okay, so here you're seeing me as this gentle person. But the next time you see me, basically, it's going to be a different thing. So beware. You think you're the judge here? But the irony is, you're looking at your judge. And the funny thing about this, and try to appreciate this, guys, when we read this, is still today there's many skeptics who try to try Jesus, right? Hmm, I don't know about this Jesus fella. And they try to make assumptions and opinions about him. He's just a man, or he's just some wise prophet, but he's not really the son of God. Well, according to these verses, he, he thinks he is the son of God. Because that was his answer. Yes, I am the son of God. So we have to either say... With his disciples, yes, I agree with Jesus. He's not mad. He's not insane. He's not a liar. He is the son of God. Or you have to agree with the court here and say, no, he's lying. And so we think we're the judges. Today, the many skeptics think they're the judge of Jesus. But ultimately, Jesus is the judge. And that's what he's making it very clear. You think you're making a judgment here, but the reality is, the next time you see me, I will be sitting on the right hand of the mighty one. Okay? Think about that. You think you're the chief, but you're looking at the chief. The next time you see me, I'll be sitting at the right hand of the mighty one coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest, of course, upset him very much because, you know, maybe he had a bit of, you know, pride issue, <laughs> possibly. You know, he, he, he's the man in charge. Don't you know I'm the great high priest? I'm the chief. Who do you think you are? So he tore his clothes. And again, tearing of the clothes was, was, was banned in Levitical law. He shouldn't have done it. So I mean, everything we see here is wrong. So his tearing of his clothes was, was, was outlawed in Levitical law. And then he goes and says, he has spoken blasphemy. Finally, here's the charge. 
Here's the pinning on him. Now, what Jesus is saying, here's the question. Is it blasphemy or not? And the reason why we know it's blasphemy, because blasphemy, as we see down here, it's, it's, it's you know, impious, reproachful, injurious speech to people, to anyone, but specifically to divine, to God, yeah? So it's basically speaking falsely about God. Is Jesus speaking falsely about God or not? You see what I'm saying here, guys? It's like, to some, yes. To some, no. Jesus cannot lie. That's what I believe. Because he is the son of God. And when he's saying he's the son of God, he's making a very brave statement, but what he's telling is the truth. So we all have to make our decisions. We all have to decide, like the court here, is Jesus the son of God or is he not? Is he blaspheming or not? So, the, so here's the accusation, but it's a false accusation. So I believe he was not blaspheming. I believe he was telling the truth, and the truth was very much so honoring to God, very much so in keeping with the true holy name of God, the nature of God. I believe Jesus is one with God, and so I believe what is happening here is not blasphemy, but they have to bring something to Rome. They have to bring something to Rome, so he must die. So blasphemy is the charge. It's a false charge. It's a bogus charge, something that he is completely innocent of, not guilty of, but here's the charge. They finally have it. Why do you need any more witnesses? Look, now, you have heard blasphemy. So again, they, they say that we don't need evidence now because it's come from his own mouth. Basically, he's pleading guilty in their opinion, right? So if you, if you go to court and, and they bring you the charge for you, and you might say, yes, I'll plead guilty. And I hope to have the, you know, the mercy of the court, right? Then they'll say, well, we don't need to try. We don't need to go to, to trial. We don't need to bring in witnesses and evidences because the person has admitted guilt, right? So thank you. And so that's why a lot of people do it because it's, maybe it'll, it'll make their, 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 their punishment softer or easier. So here they're thinking, well, the charge of blasphemy is death. And you just signed your own death certificate. We don't need to bring in any witnesses. Thank you, Jesus. But Jesus is saying, that's true. I can't lie. I am the son of God. I am the Messiah. I can't lie. So they go on to say, he is worthy of death. And they spit in his face. They struck him. And again, this is not right. They had no, they had no legal right to do this to him. This is them acting impulsively. Spitting on his face. Hitting him. Slapping him. Mocking him. Prophesy to us, Messiah. Who hit you? So again, totally impulsive. Totally out of order. But he's doing this. He could stop it. But he won't stop it. He's doing this. He's submitting to it because it's what has to happen for us, guys. Next slide. So the Levitical penalty for blasphemy is right here. Here's a story, and then here's the, and here's the, here's the, the, the ruling. So the story goes like this. One day a man, this is in Leviticus 24.10. One day a man who had an Israelite mother and an Egyptian father came out of his tent and got into a fight with one of the Israelite men. So it was kind of this half-breed. Half Israelian, half Egyptian, right? He had a fight with an Israelite man. And then during the fight, the son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name of the Lord with a curse. So the man was brought to Moses for judgment. His mother was, well, Shalomith, I guess, I don't know, the daughter of Debris. That's kind of a funny name. And the tribe of Dan. So they, they kept the man in custody. And so the Lord's will in the matter should become clear to them. 
Okay, so here he is. They're fighting. He got caught up, got a bit passionate, and he blasphemed the name of the Lord. And you know what it's like. We hear it on the streets of Scotland every Friday night and Saturday night. You know, God's name is being blasphemed all the time. So we know what it's like. You get carried away, and you say something, you know, you shouldn't say. But back then, they took it very seriously. So they, they detain him. And the Lord spoke to Moses. This is what the Lord says to Moses. Take the blasphemer outside the camp and tell all those who heard the curse to lay their hands on his head. So again, I heard it, I heard it, I heard it. Testimony. Lay their hands on his head. And then let the entire community stone him to death. Yes. Now, if you accidentally say some things you regret, you're probably going to get, you shouldn't do that. Naughty, naughty, naughty by your auntie or your grand or something like that. Oh, I wish you like. So old-fashioned. But back then, they took it very seriously. Again, Israel was supposed to bring God to people of the world. Certainly not to disfame them, not to discredit them. But what happens to our community when we allow ourselves and our young people to talk trash against our gods? We stop revering God. We stop really, you know what I'm saying? We lose our passion for God. And here, you know, Israel, even the simple things like talking trash about God was not allowed. So stone him to death. That is the punishment for blasphemy. It's a death penalty. Say to the people of Israel, those who curse their God will be punished for their sin. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord must be stoned to death by the whole community of Israel. Any native-born Israelite or foreigner among you who blasphemes the Lord must be put to death. So this is why... Caiaphas and the other leaders are excited about Jesus right now because now they have a death sentence according to the Levitical law. Here we go. A death sentence. Jesus admits to blaspheming. What do we do when we hear a blasphemer? According to God, to Moses, we kill him. But now they have to convince Rome. So we have a third trial. I call this the non-trial because, again, it's just silly. Again, it's illegal for the, uh, the, the Sanhedrin to try out of hours, so to speak. If you guys noticed, all this happened early, early morning. So it was yet dark. So the new day hasn't begun yet. So this whole trial was illegal in more ways than just one. It was completely an unjust trial. So now they have to solidify it legally because the reality is all that just happened was completely illegal. So here's the, the legal trial, which I call the non-trial because it's just ridiculous. So early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans on how to execute Jesus. So there's no chance for Jesus to speak. There's no evidence. There's nothing. It's just, okay, now we have to get together and basically get the paperwork done. So what are we going to do? How are we going to make this happen? So they bound him and they led him away and had him over to Pilate, the governor. Because the reality is they can't execute the death penalty, only Rome can. So they have to go to Pilate, the governor of Rome. Next slide, please. And then we have Judas. Then we have Judas. So when Judas, who betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned. Again, imagine being Judas and seeing all this and hearing about all this. Okay. I didn't think it was going to be this bad. I mean, because we know he was a shady character. He was always had his hand in the pockets, 
taken some coins here and there. He had serious integrity issues, okay? So maybe this was just another chance for him to get a little extra coin for his own selfish gain. But he didn't really expect it to get out of hand. I mean, I'm speculating here, but think about Judas. Imagine him. But what do you do when you find yourself in a place like Judas? What do you do? Okay, deep regret. I didn't didn't think this was going to happen. I didn't expect this to happen. I'm in big trouble. What do you do? Well, Judas, Judas here, Judas, Judas here, I think, did the wrong thing. I personally believe that Judas could have been in a very similar situation as Peter. See, Peter, he did a big no-no as well. Remember that? He denied, he was swearing, and he was throwing the women around the courtyard and kicking plant, potted plants down and setting things on fire. Okay, I'm embellished a little bit, I know. I'm just checking to see if you guys are still awake. Okay, but you see, he did, he did a no-no. Okay, and he had deep regret as well, but he, but he did the right thing. He repented. Judas did not repent. He had remorse, he had regret, he felt deep guilt, but he didn't turn. He ended his life. And that's what we see here. So when Judas, who betrayed him, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse and returned the silver piece. See, he went to the wrong people. Who did he go to? Did he go to Jesus and say, Jesus, forgive me? No, he went to the chief priest. I don't think Judas ever got it, because even when he saw Jesus in the garden, all the other disciples called him Lord, but he called him Rabbi. I don't think Judas really got it. If you do Jesus wrong, go to Jesus. Don't go to the high priests. (laughs) That's what he did. He went to the high priests. Here, take the money back. The high priests were corrupt. They want Jesus dead. They have no care for interest of Judas. Judas, go away. Go away, Judas. You're going to mess up everything. Go away. Don't, don't change your opinion about Jesus because you're just going to complicate things. So he came in with his 30 silver pieces. He says to the elders, I've sinned. He wants to, but he went to the wrong person. If you sin, don't go to the wrong person. I mean, again, this is the equivalent of like if you're hanging out with your muckers your mates, your friends, and you're palling around and you get yourself into trouble. And then you feel really bad about it. And then you go back to your friends who you got in trouble with and saying, guys, I feel really, really bad about it. Well, they're not going to want to hear that because, because then they'll have to admit wrong. You know, see what I'm saying? What do you do? You go to God. You go to Jesus Christ. You speak to someone who can take you to God, Jesus Christ, if you're struggling with that, Yeah. But Jesus did the wrong thing. He went to his old, all those guys the, who he conspired against who he thought were his buddies, but really they're setting up a trap. It's like the Proverbs talk about. You know, if you're hanging out with the trap setters, you yourself can be caught in a trap. That's what happened to Judas. I've sinned. They don't care. I have betrayed innocent blood. They don't care. Go to Jesus, Judas. And so that's what they said, frankly. And that's what your friends will probably say if you get yourself caught up into trouble. And you go to your friends and say, I should have done it. So what? What's it to us? And that's what they said. So what's it to us? That's your responsibility. It's your beef. Deal with it. I don't feel bad. You feel bad? It's your problem. On you go. So Jesus threw the money to the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priest picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury, since it's blood money. So they decided to use the money to buy a potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. 
That is why it was called, that's why it has been called the field of blood to this day. Then what was spoken of by Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled. And by this is snippets from Jeremiah and Zechariah. They took 30 pieces of silver, the price set on him by the people of Israel, and they used it to buy the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. So again, even this is prophetic. And I hate to, to sound like a broken record, but all these prophecies are put in there for a reason, to show that this is not God failing. This is not Christ failing. This is God succeeding. This is Christ succeeding. All of this was prophesied many, many years ago. This has to happen. Jesus knew it had to happen. It's ugly. It's dirty. It's painful. But it has to happen. Judas, ah, it's unfortunate for you, pal. Ah, but it had to happen. So again, positive, being used by God in a positive way, being used by God in a negative way. Peter, he made a mistake, but he repented. He wanted to be used by God in a positive way, and we already saw some of the amazing things. And when we look at Acts, when we get to Acts, we're going to see more of the amazing things that God does with disciples. We can be used to implement God's will in very positive ways. But we also can be used to do God's will in negative ways, like the high priests and like Judas. And we can let that guilt and regret cripple us. But what do we do? Again, I'm going to repeat myself. What do we do that we find ourselves in a situation like Judas? Well, we don't do what Judas did. We do what Peter did. So you might feel like, oh, I'm, I feel like I'm out of God's will. I feel like I've blown it. I got this guilt. What do you do? Don't wallow in the guilt. You run to Jesus. You run to Jesus. You ask him for forgiveness. You ask him for cleansing and for healing. Okay, by the way, guys, here's irony here. That's exactly why he went to the cross. So we can, when we find ourselves like Judas and like Peter, finding ourselves in a, in a, in a dodgy situation, that we can go back. See, in the, before Jesus, it was very difficult to find ourselves back to God's, you know, <laughs> right standing, you know, right, you know, to be looked at God in a, in a positive way. It was hard. It required a lot of sacrifice. And, and even that, it was a temporary fix, yeah? It, was, it wasn't ideal. But now with Jesus, we can go to him. Any day, every day, all day. Jesus, come on. I, I want to be more like you, Jesus. I've blown it. I feel guilty. And I got this feeling, please, God, minister to me. Heal me. Take away the guilt. I want to grow up. I want to be like you. And again, just remember how Peter was like. Remember how Peter was like. He liked Judas failed. But when the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, he did amazing things. So again, to, to, to launch off, to come back to what we learned last week. Let's not be like Judas. Let's be like Peter. Yes, we blow it. Yes, we make mistakes. But failure is a part of the growing process. It's a stepping stone. Boom, boom. To growing up, to maturing. We need to cling on to Jesus. Realizing his very present, powerful Holy Spirit is with us. We can access him. We can access him. We can access his power. But we've got to go to him with like the heart Jesus had when he came to, his, to God, not my will be done, but your will be done. I want to serve you, God, but give me the strength to do it. I want to serve you, God, but give me the words to say it. And even Jesus said to his disciples earlier on, oh, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say you know, when you are confronted. He'll give you the words. He'll give you... Yeah, but we need to trust in these things. 
So here is Jesus for trial. Next week, we're going to look at Jesus as he goes before the Romans. Because he needs to go before Rome to be tried, to be executed. Again, it's part of God's will. We're going to look at that next week, and we're going to see how Jesus handled that situation, and we're going to see that situation unfold. And it's a sad state of affairs. It's a sad story. It's a sad thing to recount. It's a very sad thing to think about because we love Jesus so much. We don't want to see him suffer. We've already seen him getting mocked and hit and spit upon and slapped. We don't like that. And it's a sad story, and I do apologize for that, but he did it for you guys. He did it for me. And guess what? He also did it for the other Christians out there who drive us nuts as well. He did it for, he died for the world so he might be saved and we'll be rescued. of the